good morning, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Wow, this has been a great day. Great crowd this morning, great crowd here this afternoon. So we're grateful for all of you, all of you wonderful people that are following us online. Very honored, very honored. Usually I have people stand, but I have a lot of reading that I need to do. So I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'd like you to see the way that every one of these letters begin. I guess the technical term is epistle. Romans chapter 1 says grace to you and peace. The next book, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3. Grace be unto you in peace. The next book, 2 Corinthians 1 and 3. Grace be to you. The next book, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 2. Grace be to you. The next book, Philippians chapter 1 verse 2. Grace be to you. Colossians is the next book. Grace be unto you in peace. Thessalonians does the same thing in the very first verse of the first chapter. Grace be to you. Second Thessalonians, first two of chapter one, grace. First Timothy, one and verse two. Second Timothy, one and verse two. The next book is Titus. It's in the first chapter, verse four. Grace, mercy, and peace. Philemon, that short little book in verse number 3. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 2 says, Grace unto you. 2 Peter 1 and 2, grace and peace. 2 John verse 3, grace be with you. Revelation chapter 1. John to the seven churches which are in Asia. Grace be unto you. I want to, this is a day that's, Set aside for our young people. I have said for years that you get your strength in your church from your elders, but you get your life from your young people. We are so blessed in this church with strength and life. And um, in the first, after the first service, there are just kids everywhere, everywhere. I just smiled. I was just so grateful. Had multiple couples that have come up to me in the first service said, did you hear Pastor Hoffman? We're having another baby. It's like, God is love. Hallelujah. And uh, so <laughs> we've got a nursery full of infants and toddlers and we've got a bunch more on the way. And uh, um, I, it is it is probably the number one regret that I have in my life that I didn't have more children. And for those of you that um, have young families and have the ability, time to still have children, have, have children, have babies. And uh, it's probably the only, it, not probably, it's the only commandment of God we've always obeyed and never gave him any grief over. <laughs> everything, everything else God asks us to do, we've questioned or disobeyed. But that be fruitful and multiply, we've been pretty good about obeying that one. And this church has done its share. So we're grateful for that. 
There's a marriage at the beginning of the Bible. There's a marriage at the end of the Bible. The Bible talks about the marriage supper of the Lamb. He is our bridegroom. Church is the bride. So my lesson today is going to be about shotgun weddings. The marriage supper will not be a shotgun wedding. If you don't know what that is, you've got to be have a little hillbilly in you. Um, where I come from, uh, they have shotgun weddings. The dad of that girl sticks a double barrel 12 gauge in the belly of that boy and said, you are going to marry my girl right now. And uh, there aren't any options. You just do it. I am convinced that this should be a get to, not have to. That I want to serve the Lord, not I have to serve the Lord. And so uh, I direct my comments today to our youth group because... um, I believe that going to hell is supposed to be hard. Not serving him. I believe that serving the Lord was supposed to be an enjoyable trip. And it's interesting to me that every one of these epistles or letters begins with this grace. Grace be unto you. I, I went to a Bible college, seminary, whatever you want to call it. And I remember asking one of my teachers... What is grace? It was like I punched his nose and his eyes lit up. And so he, with delight, he told me, grace is the unmerited favor of God for regeneration and salvation. And I still remember looking at him and said, what in the world does that mean? And his answer was just as murky. (laughs) Took me years to come to an understanding of what grace really is. Uh, First of all, let me help you understand. Grace is not mercy. Um, Grace is the power to do the will of God. It is divine assistance. In other words, it's not just God saying, do this. It's him saying, do it. But he's saying, I'm going to help you do that. And um, you can't earn it. And there's absolutely no way you can pay it back. But if I could teach you one thing today, it's. That grace is a teacher. In Titus chapter 2, in 11 and 12, it said, The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared unto all men, teaching us to deny ungodliness, worldly lust, live soberly, righteously, godly in this present world. I'll be very honest with this youth group. You, you, you young men and young women are angels by this world's standards. You just are. And I'm proud of you. And this church is proud of you. And uh, um, there, there is a notion that says grace begins with the cross. But I, I've never believed that because in Genesis chapter 6 it says Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, way before the cross. And the, one of the, my father-in-law taught this to me. It's not original with me, but I've used it so many times because I think it's so, so powerful that in Genesis 39, you have the account of Joseph. I believe Joseph is the greatest Old Testament example of Jesus Christ. And um, 
he was sold probably, I don't know, I think as near as I can tell, he was 17. Sold by his jealous brothers to a bunch of slave traders. They took the slaves down to Egypt and uh, Joseph was sold into the home of a very affluent man by the name of Potiphar. It says that his wife, Potiphar's wife, tried to seduce Joseph. This is what it says in chapter 39 and verse 9. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but you, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? This is the 39th chapter of Genesis. If you're just a cursory student of the Bible, you know that the Ten Commandments do not show up until the 20th chapter of Exodus. So what you could say is, go ahead, Joseph. Go ahead and commit adultery. There's, there's no rule against it. There's no law against it. It's, in fact, we're not going to get it for 250 more years. So just go ahead and indulge yourself. But I take you back to Titus 2, 11 and 12. The grace has appeared to all men and it obviously showed up with Joseph and gave him the strength to be able to deny the lust that was going on right there. And again, again and again, it says grace and peace. Listen, that's a process. It's, it's like in, in Romans, it says the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but it's righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Listen. You're not going to have peace without righteousness first. If you'll do what's righteous. What is righteousness? Just doing what's right. If you'll do what's right, there's righteousness which leads to peace, which leads to joy. And, and it's a process. And it's the same way with grace and peace. Peace grows out of you responding to grace. It says that, you know, the, these are the three most prominent writers in the New Testament. Paul, Peter, and John. Again, and again, and again, and again, and again, and again. Every one of them open up their letter with, with this grace. The, one, Paul one time said, by grace are ye saved through faith. The Bible said you can't please God without faith. So, what's that mean? What is grace? Grace is God's assistance. It's grace is the power to do the will of God, but it's activated by faith. You've got to believe that God wants to help you. And, and if you will, there's a power released because the same grace that saves you is the same grace that will keep you. I, I don't know about you, but I'm so glad that when I mess up, God doesn't mark my name off the list. And listen, listen to this verse. For a just man, not unjust, a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again. Getting knocked down, young people, is not a sin. The sin is staying down. That's where the sin is. 
when, you, when, when your children fall, did any of you parents ever say, that's okay, baby, don't just crawl for the rest of your life? Who, who wants a kid that's 16 still crawling? That's embarrassing. And there are, there are two kinds of Christians. There are the ones that have problems and there's all the others who lie about it. Okay, that's it. And there, there are guards. I wish I had time to teach you about guards. The Bible begins with a garden. And, and um, here's, here's, here's John 19 and verse 41. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new sepulcher where no one had ever been buried yet. Uh, what, you see, what Adam lost in that first garden, Jesus reclaimed in the other garden. And there's this, this, when you study Exodus 25 through 40, there's 40 chapters in Exodus, but there's 16 chapters from 25 through 40 that are all about this Old Testament church called the Tabernacle of Moses. And it goes to, into enormous detail about how, how high everything is and how wide it is and how long it is. Every, the, 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 the minutia, the detail, that, like the Ark of the Covenant, most famous piece of furniture in the world. It, 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 it uses this cubit, and they say that a cubit was the length from your elbow to the end of your longest finger. And uh, so, uh, I don't know, 18 to 24 inches, something like that. Just depends on how long your, you, you know, your, your forearm was. But, 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 but it, 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 when you study Exodus and the tabernacle, the details, especially about measurements, everything is measured there except one thing. That's the labor. There was a big, the, the biggest piece of furniture in the tabernacle was the altar. The altar should always be the biggest, most prominent thing in our lives. Do you have an altar in your life? And I hope it's a big one. I hope it's a very prominent thing in your life, okay? And after that altar was a labor basically looked like a big bird bath. It had water on top and then there was water on the bottom because when they killed those animals for the sacrifice, the blood splashed and they would wash their hands. What, what, what amazes me is that there are no dimensions given for the labor. Everything else is in very explicit dimension, but not the labor, the, that place of washing and the technical term for it is atonement, which you can divide into three words, at one minute. It means you're at one with your God again. Listen to me. You can't put limits on the washing. If there's one sin the atonement can't deal with, then it can't deal with any of them. That this God that we serve, you know, you've got blood. Look at, look at in the Old Testament, they splashed blood when once, a, once a year they went into the Holy of Holies and, and passed this veil and splashed blood seven times on, on, on the mercy seat. And when, I, I always thought it was amazing on the cross. He's got holes in both of his wrists. So there's two places blood's coming from. And he's got holes in both of his ankles. So now I have four places blood's coming from. And then his back is beaten. So that's the fifth source of blood. They've got a crown of thorns on his head, which is the sixth source of blood. And then they stick a spear in his side. Just as there were seven splashes of blood in the Old Testament, there are seven 
in the New Testament. And, 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 and it's very specific because, you know, the, 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 the blood from his back, it says, by his stripes, we are healed. So that's obviously something for the physical body. But when you read the scripture, you have a spirit, a soul, and a body. And, and so look, 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 look. What about the blood from the side? They said it was blood and water. And those are the sacraments of the new covenant. When you get baptized, the blood that's in the name mixes with the water. And the blood and the water agree, okay? It's a, it's, it's a big deal. It really is. The blood and water that came from his side is the deal with our sin of the spirit. But, 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 but that crown of thorns on his head, that's bomb for your brain. That's the mental aspect, the soul aspect of it. So you've got blood. Remember, there's, there's a scripture, um, I, I, I believe it's in, um, uh, without the shedding of blood, it's, it's Hebrews 9 and 22, I believe. Without, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. And people for years have said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. It doesn't say that. It, the, the prepositional phrase is not there. It's, it says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission because the blood of the cross deals with more than sin. That's the blood that came from his side that deals with sin. But what about the blood from his back? That's to touch and heal your body. And the blood from his brow, that, 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 that's bomb for your brain. That, that fixes your thought life. So you, the, the, you can't limit the blood to sin. The blood can deal with sin. It can deal with sickness. It can deal with stress and anxiety and fear. You can't limit the washing. You can't limit the atonement. You need to understand the difference between legalism and what is, I would call, Christian discipline. Because we're disciples. We ought to be disciplined. What's the difference between legalism or self-righteousness and, 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 and Christian discipline? Legalism says, I have to do this in order to gain favor with God. I've got to wear this. I can't wear that. I can't do this. I can't do that. If I don't do this stuff, then God will like me. That's legalism. Bible condemns legalism. But Christian discipline says, I love God. And I'm going to do this because I want to please him with my life. And I'm grateful I'm grateful for what he's done. True grace will make you harder on yourself than on anyone else. And, 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 and God is so, God is, the, the word is just. Let me show you how fair God is. People say life's not fair and it isn't, but God is. I'll show you why. The Bible said, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. Forgive, and it will be forgiven you. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Judge, and you shall be judged. How do you want God to judge you? I want him to be very merciful with me. So, God's going to treat me the same way I treat other people. If I'm harsh and judgmental to others, he's going to be harsh and judgmental to me. If I'm merciful to others, he's going to be merciful to me. 
Because there's another thing in, 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 in the Ark of the Covenant there's no detail about. It's the mercy seat. A lid that was on the Ark of the Covenant. No one knows how thick that thing was. No one knows how deep the mercy of God is. Because there are two seats mentioned in the Bible. There's the mercy seat and then there's what's known as the judgment seat. Paul said in the book of Ephesians, we sit with him in heavenly places. I promise you, he's not on the judgment seat today. So we have a choice. We can either sit with him in a place of mercy or sit all by ourselves in a place of judgment. I think we'd be much wiser to sit with him in mercy and not sit all by ourselves in a judgment seat. Because listen to this verse. This is Hebrews 9 and verse 5. And over it, this is talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Particular. Five syllables. Mm. I got another one coming up here in just a little bit. He goes into a great deal of everything, but he said, when, now when it comes to that mercy seat, he said, I'm not going to talk about that one. That, 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 that's God's turf. And, and, and listen to what, listen, this is what, Jesus was quoting Isaiah in John 10. Here's John 10, 28. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. I didn't say you couldn't jump out. Because if the devil, listen to me closely, if the devil was authorized to defeat and destroy saints, none of us would be here today. Because there's sin condemnation and there's self-condemnation. If you do something that's not right, there's the condemnation of sin. And that's, that's, that's just, that's right. You want that like a conscience. You, you, you want that. The problem with a conscience is it's like a fire truck. It only shows up after the thing's on fire. You've got to have more than a conscience. You've got to have grace working at the beginning, teaching you before the flame ever starts. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do this. Because remember, it's, it, I can understand it if it was called the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of evil. That's what I always thought it should be called. It should have been called an evil tree. Stay away from it. But it's not. It's called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I struggled that for a long time. What, it, what does that mean? And I think this is what it means. If Satan can't get you with the evil part of it, he'll get you with the good part of it. In other words, it, 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 you, it, here's, here's Satan. Do it, 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 do it. And as soon as you do it, what would you do that for? Bad, 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 bad. So that's, that's, that's the knowledge of evil. You know what I did was wrong. But there's the flip side of that coin. The knowledge of good. Because if the knowledge of evil won't destroy you, then there's another side that says, I'm not that bad. I'm really a pretty good girl. I'm pretty, compared to everybody, I'm a pretty good guy. That's self-righteousness. See, if you, there's sin condemnation. If you do something wrong... It will condemn you. 
But I know people that it's not the condemnation of sin, it's the condemnation of self. I, I'm, not, I'm not any good. I'm not any good. I, I, I know I've done something wrong. <laughs> let, let me read you a verse that's in 1 John. If our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart because he knows all things. You know what that means? That, I, I meet people, I, I say, it, it looks like seven mother-in-laws moved in with them last week. A, a, a glob of gloom hangs on them. And, and the enemy has just got them defeated. I, I, I've done something wrong. I've done something wrong. This is what you do. Just turn around and say, what did I do? That's how you pray. That's how you pray. The Bible said, if you regard sin in your life, it said the heavens will be like iron. Nothing's going to get through. You want to feel God, repent. You know, a broken and a contrite spirit, he'll never despise. Repent. And then God, what have I done wrong? If you've done something wrong, he will show you. If God doesn't show you anything wrong, there's nothing wrong. You get me? God, if your heart's condemning you, God's greater than your heart. He knows if there's something in there and he'll show. You think God wants to be like a, like, 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 like a, I don't know, just a carrot in front of you all your life and just, just teasing you, you know, to something that's not, you're never going to attain. That's not the God that we, that the, the word of the Lord talks about. And, and what you have to understand is, is that Satan will just say, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad. It's like, okay, Why? And if God didn't reveal you something, turn around and say, you're a liar. All right? What voice are you listening to? If there's a voice that says, you're all alone, you're all alone, you're all alone. The Bible said, I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Though a mother will forget her own. Wow, how could you? He said, he that made the ear, can he not hear? He that made the eye, can he not see? My arm is never short that it cannot reach to where you are. Listen, two storms in the New Testament. One time he shows up, said, be of good cheer. It's me. Another one, he said, don't be afraid. So when you go into a storm in your life, if you hear anything other than that, it's okay. I'm here with you. Don't be afraid. That's the enemy. You've got to be able to, the Bible said, try the spirits. Get, put, it, put, 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 it, put an MRI there. Put an EKG. Get a lie detector test. Is this thing being honest with me or not? Am I a bad person or not? And if you've done something wrong, God's, God's greater than your heart. He'll show you what's wrong so you can repent of it and get it done. And when you repent of it, turn around and look at the enemy and say, that's over now. I... I I don't have my phone with me. It is, I, I got a great text this week from someone in this church. It said, for Satan to condemn me about my past is like somebody judging me about a house I lived in two houses ago. He said, I don't live there anymore. I have moved on. I, I, got, I got a magnificent text yesterday 
from someone that used to go to his church, a husband and wife used to go here and they, 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 they had a difficult time. They had to move out of state. And, and, and the wife wrote me yesterday and she said, you wrote me a text 10 years ago. Do you remember what you said? And I said, no, I have no idea. And she said, my husband had just lost his job. We had basically, we had nowhere to go. We didn't know what to do. And you wrote me a text and this is what it said. Satan does not know what to do with hurting people who remain thankful. I forgot that I wrote it. But she said, we remain thankful. Now, look what we have. And look what the Lord has done for us. It's just... Paul didn't say he kept the course. He said he kept the faith. I mean, my dad taught me how to drive in an old stone quarry. I mean, it was all the all the stone was gone and the machines was gone. And he just took me out in the middle of that thing. And and that he said, hey, it's time for you to learn how to drive. (laughs) Boy, am I glad there was no I was all over the place. Sometimes I was left, overcorrect, I was to the right. It's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the pendulum on a clock. Boom, boom, boom. David said, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed. Which means sometimes you're going to swing too far to the left. You're going to be too liberal. But it only goes so far. And there's a divine center that, that brings that thing back. But, and then it goes too far to the right. You're too judgmental and too self-righteous. It's, it's, life's going to be like that. I've heard people say, we, 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 you know, we, we got to have balance in life. There is no such thing as balance in life. It doesn't happen. Sometimes you're going to have too much family, not enough church. Sometimes you're going to have more church than family. It's just, it's just the way, it's, it's the way, but your heart's got to be fixed. That's why Paul said, I kept the faith. Sometimes I went there, but something brought me back. Sometimes I went over there, something brought me back. I didn't keep the, I didn't keep the course, but I got to the end. I got to the destination. He that endures to the end, the same shall be saved. (laughs) It's just, the Bible said, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Remember that thing in Matthew, ask and it shall be given you. What's the next thing? Seek and you shall find. Do you get it? Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. How? He was looking for it. He was looking for it. And and so in the Old Testament, you know, Noah's looking for grace. In the New Testament, grace in the form of Jesus Christ is looking for us. Why? Why? (laughs) I've been pastoring for a long time. When people do something stupid, one of the first things they do is quit coming to church. Every week, I'm texting people, every week, people that haven't been in church in weeks, sometimes months, trying to just get them to come. Why? Why do people run from God? All he's going to do is keep loving you. That's all he's going to do. And and, and it's just, is there anything my children can do that will make me love them less? No, my kids have done dumb stuff and so have yours. I'm a child of God. I've done things, but he loves me no less. Because you have to understand law and grace 
are opposites. They're at extreme poles. So somewhere in this room, I think my wife is here. So Renee, Renee, you here? These lights. So Renee and I, we go out to a restaurant this afternoon and some guy comes up to me and says, uh, Mr. Hoffman, why don't you commit adultery? And I said, because the Bible says I'm not supposed to. You think I'm going to answer that in front of her? <laughs> She's going to say, that's the only reason you're faithful to me? Because of what the Bible says? I thought you were faithful to me because you love me. And you're going to, young people, you're going to be battered with it all the time. Why do you do this? Why don't you do that? Because my pastor said, it's got to be something in your heart. Is this going to be a shotgun wedding or not? Are we going to have to stick a gun in your gut and say, serve God or else? Or I want to serve the Lord. I see the folly of others. I see where this leads to. I see the heartache. I see the human garbage dump littered with could have been, might have been, should have been. But it never materialized. Why? Because they didn't have the proper foundation. It's because under grace, have to becomes want to. And, and listen to this verse. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Two times in the book of Hebrews it says that. There's three words in our vocabulary that wouldn't be there if there wasn't God. You have that word omni, which means all, omnipotent, all power, omnipresent, spans all three time, space, past, present, future, concurrently. Omniscience, omniscience, all knowledge. How does a God who knows everything forget my iniquity? Because he's God. And he's able to think it out of existence. And you still look at yourself. Paul one time said, I thank God who counted me worthy. And I, 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 I thought, what does that mean? And one day I felt the Lord gave me inspiration. It's like a parade. Picture a parade with a hundred floats. But every float is a different season of your life. So the first float at the beginning of the parade is where God found you. And the last float at the end of the parade is what you're going to become in Jesus Christ. And what Paul was saying is, he counted me worthy. In other words, he went all the way to the end of the parade and saw what I was going to be. had respected and reacted to me as if I was already faithful. (laughs) Because when you read the writings of the Apostle Paul, there there, there is one word. He wrote more books in that New Testament than anybody else, but there's one word. That to me identifies the writing of the Apostle Paul. And that's the word faith. 
it just it's 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 his maxim it's it's his moniker it's it's his logo faith in god but when 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 you read the writing of peter there is a word that keeps popping up on the radar when you read the books that peter wrote and it's the word hope and john john wrote the book of john first second third john revelation five books john wrote when you read the writings of John, there's one word that keeps popping up again and again and again. Love. However, what I read to you was how every one of these men began their letters. Epitaph's a big deal. Even though Paul, his whole ministry was about faith. Let me read to you the last Thing he ever wrote to anybody, to a young preacher named Timothy. This is what Paul wrote to him. The Lord Jesus Christ be with thy spirit. Grace be with you. Amen. Even though Peter's great word, always his word, always hope. Let me read to you the last thing that Peter ever wrote. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. John, his whole ministry is about love. But I'm going to read to you the last thing John ever wrote in Revelation 22 and 21. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Faith, hope, charity, great stuff. But I'll tell you what you want to have. Let the grace of God, let that teacher, let that instructor, let the presence of God come over you and understand, I'm going to help you. When my wife and I got married, we were morally pure. Morally poor, pure. Had I kissed a few girls? Yep, I had. Had I put my arms around a couple of them? Yes, I had. But that was it. My wife, she kissed lots of boys. <laughs> Bunches of them. <laughs> Don't tell me moral purity is a myth. Don't tell me moral purity is a zephyr. And it's just a, an aberration and a pipe dream. I'm preaching to young people and I'm challenging you. Stay Morally clean. Amen. 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 You can have a great marriage. You can have a great family. You can have a great life. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be without bumps. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be without problem. It's going to show up. I wish I could protect you from every problem that you potentially could have. I can't do that because I believe the same grace. When I was a very young preacher, I had a very, very powerful man tell me, I will make it my mission in life to see to it that you never preach in a Pentecostal church. You will never preach in a Pentecostal. And he was a very powerful man, but he didn't have nearly as much power as he thought he did. I don't trust people that don't have scars. 
when Jesus looked at Thomas, I, you, you probably can't see this. I banged my hand working at my house on Monday. I was trying to do too much. My mom came into my little wood shop that I was working on. She said, what happened to your hand? And I looked and it was all bloody and I didn't, that was six days ago. It's, it's just now, just now starting to scab over. Three days after Jesus was beaten and brutalized, he had scars. Scars. I would have thought it, would, it should have just been red, inflamed flesh still leaking. His back. Oh my goodness, it, that hole in his side. I would have thought it should. No, the Bible talks about scars and wounds. Why? Because there's a power in the death, burial, and resurrection that can accelerate the mending process. My, my friend was here. He's been here twice. He came for my birthday. He was here at daddy's funeral, Charles Russell. I know you're watching, Charles. Just came out of surgery. And I love you, brother. I remember when I first met him, he, he had had 27 operations from a horrendous car crash. He rolled up his sleeve, and there was this jagged, this jagged scar. And he said, Harold, I know when that happened. I know where it happened. And I know why it happened. But he said it's healed. And it doesn't hurt anymore. Unless I do this. And he said if I keep digging at it. I will inflame that thing that's been healed. And I'm here to tell you that the Lord. Is a healer. And a mender. Quit scratching at your scars. Stand with me. Stand with me. Come with me around this altar. Come, come rejoicing. It's been a wonderful week. There's been so many great things that have happened. I look at all these young people. I've, 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 and this, this place is blessed. with. We got toddlers and infants and, and on and on. <laughs> I mean, look at this. Just, just look. Look at the variety here. I was accused of being a racist a while ago on the Internet. And... and all of a sudden, there was this avalanche of texts that said, have you seen his staff? <laughs> Don't ever accuse Hoffman of being a, a racist. And it's just, it's just, I look at this church and, and, and I look at our youth group and I look at all of the complexity that's in this place. And I, I last count, we had 42 nationalities in this church, but I think there's 148. So we, we got 106 more to go. Okay, we want somebody from every tribe and every tongue and every kindred. That's the new Jerusalem. That's a real church. And I'm telling you in that Bible, great, you know, revival is what happens in a church. Harvest is what happens to the lost. But great revivals in the, in the church happen with young people. Happen with young people. This prayer meeting that we have on Monday night. Years ago, two girls, two young girls that nobody asked just said, we're going to go to church and pray on Monday night. That's where that now look what it's become. 
not from older saints, not from grandmas, two girls in the youth group said, we're going to go and pray. Look at what it's metastasized and look at what it's grown into. Young people, you have influence that you're not aware of. You have ability that the enemy would like to squelch and like to stifle that in the name of the Lord. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, Father, thank you, Lord, for every dirty diaper. Thank you for every crayon on the wall. Thank you, Lord, for every door that's ever left open, every light that's left on. Thank you, God, for the kids, the young people that call this place home. I'm asking you, God, amen, that as they grow and as they mature, Lord, help them to understand the power that they have. No wonder the enemy fights them so, so arduously trying his best to steal something from the flock because that's the tomorrow. That's our future. I'm asking you, Lord, right now. Amen. Be with Kinto. Be with Bianca. Be with the youth team. Be with that staff. Oh, Jesus. Would you enable the influence of this church to be felt around the world? I'm asking you, Lord, to let these young people be an influencer and people around the world say, I want something like that. I want to have that kind of consecration. I want to have that kind of determination. I want the grace of God to work in my life the way it's obviously worked in them. Sing, Sophie. Sing. Jesus' name. Let's sing together. Light in the dark.